Good morning, everybody. Before we get started, we do have little guides, these uh, guides for making notes and stuff like that. If anybody didn't get one this morning and would like one, this is my magnetic personality. See that? Don't try that at home. Uh, but if you, if you need a guide, please put up your hand and you can grab one. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris, and I'm the campus pastor at our Lake Arrock campus. Uh, but if you, so if you're pretty new, I used to, I was here for quite a while, for almost a year, it was eight months or something like that. We started off and we were here, and so it's like coming home. I love, I really just love this place. And so to be back here with you and to worship our good God together is really, really special. I was really excited when I heard I was going to be able to come back. So. It's, uh, yeah, anyway, I want to start off by telling you a story. So there's this uh, gentleman, he's walking through the woods, and, and this, this guy doesn't believe in God. He considers himself an atheist. And so he's wandering through the woods one day, and it's a beautiful day. The sun's shining, there's this babbling brook, the, the birds are chirping, it's, it's just wonderful. And he's thinking to himself, man, this day is just wonderful. And all of a sudden he hears this rustling off to the side. He looks over and there's this seven-foot grizzly bear looking at him, teeth, claws, and he screams, ah! And then he starts running, booking it through the woods, down this path. The bear is chasing after him, coming through. He hears it crashing. He looks back to see how far, and he trips over this root in the ground and falls down and looks back, and the bear is right over him, paw like this, ready to strike. And all of a sudden he goes, oh, God, no! And everything freezes. The babbling brook stops, stops babbling, the birds stop chirping, and, all of a sudden, and the bear freezes in motion. And all of a sudden, this light shines down right in his eyes. And this voice says, well, let me get this straight. So you've denied me your entire life. In fact, you've gone even further than that. You've actually taught people that I don't exist, like the universe is just some sort of cosmic accident. And now, in your greatest moment of need, you're turning to me? Is it, should this is how I should take this, that you're now a believer in me? The atheist pauses and he's like, you know what, that would be rather hypocritical right now. But I know that, you know, Christians are really, really nice. So I have a great idea. Why don't you make the bear a Christian? <laughs> and there's a pause. And then from the light comes the voice very well. And the, the light stops shining, the, the brook starts babbling, the birds start chirping again, and the bear, with its paw, moves, slowly brings it down and says, thank you, Lord, for this food that we're, I'm about to receive. <laughs> it's a true story, by the way. I know the guy. Uh, I did know the guy. So... <laughs> So things happen in life. Things happen that either we see or we hear about, and it, it can actually cause us to start wondering about the things that we believe. So in this gentleman's case, he would have probably started to doubt his atheism. Something happened to cause him to doubt that. Perhaps for you, something evil in the world, or perhaps there was some suffering that you saw that started to make you wonder or doubt God's goodness, or, or maybe that he's even there. 
Or perhaps you know somebody like that, that has experienced that sort of thing. This is our introductory message in our new series, as our lead pastor Matt said, called Doubt, and I'm really, really glad that we're gonna be tackling these issues. It's really important for the church to be open and, and in dialogue with these sorts of things, and, and for me personally, I know that a lot of the issues that we're gonna be tackling, I had those same questions before I came to faith, about 12 years ago, so it was very important for me to get good answers, because if I, if I hadn't, I, I likely wouldn't be standing here today. See, first, when I was a non-Christian or perhaps a new Christian, I was given reasons to believe that what I had believed about God and, and the universe in general was mistaken. And so from there, I was able to build a firm foundation. And then as a Christian, but still as a, as a rebellious man, a person who still sees things and, and hears things going around in the world and wonders at them, Having answers to these questions helps me at times when I'm doubting. I can turn to some of these answers to some of these questions, and it helps me keep in faith and keep in the church. And of course, we never want to discount the movement of the spirit in the life, but God seems to take control and to utilize us wrestling through these things. And I mentioned the church, and so speaking to the church, and, and if you're here today and, you're, and you don't consider yourself a Christian or, or a, a member of the church, or that you would consider yourself a, a regular goer to the church or a follower of Jesus, this series is definitely for you too. But there's a special challenge to people who consider themselves Christians. The, the church needs to have a handle on these questions, a, a good handle on these questions. Why? Because everybody is capable of experiencing doubt at some point in their life. And so we can encourage not only ourselves when we experience it, but we can also encourage the people around us in the church when they start to experience doubt. And not only that, but we can start to help change the perception of what Christians think and believe and do in the world to those who believe that Christianity and, and what Christians believe is silly. I know sometimes when I say that, that, that people believe that, they, people look at me like I'm, I'm mistaken or maybe making that up. And if that's your experience, you talk to people about your faith and about what you believe and, and nobody has ever made fun of you or, or said that that's silly or ridiculous or may, perhaps st use stronger language, I'm really happy, I'm, I'm really glad, but that's not been my experience. I've had some pretty choice things said to me about my faith as I've discussed it with people. And I brought some quotes here this morning, and the purpose of me reading these quotes is to help us understand exactly what is at stake and why it is so important for us to be going through a series like this and to be able to wrestle with some of these things. Because the quotes I'm going to be reading from are not from, some of them would be shared by random people, but most of them are by very, very influential people, professors, writers, and those sorts of things. So I'm using the word, or they, they use the word religion a lot, but since they're Western, they often are talking about Christianity. So the first one is, what does a backwards religion created by a bunch of goat herders, uh, they, they often, and, and if you read chat rooms and stuff like that, will call Christians or the, the original or the first church Christians goat herders because they sort of have this idea in mind that the church was made up by these shepherds, uneducated, backwards thinking sort of people. So they would say, what does a backwards religion created by a bunch of goat herders have to say about the world today? I've heard someone say this almost exactly, or numerous people actually. Another person, this is quite harsh, 
If I could have a magic wand and get rid of either rape or religion, Christianity, I would not hesitate to get rid of religion. That's, the, that's how harshly they think against what is believed here. Another person, I think religion should be treated with ridicule, hatred, and contempt, and I claim that right. And this other person goes even further and says that if a person who's a believer and they're known to be a believer and they're out in public, that they should, or he's calling people to mock them, ridicule them, especially in public. This is the call. Another one, the world needs to wake up from the long nightmare of religion. Anything we scientists can do to weaken the hold of religion should be done and may in fact be our greatest contribution to civilization. And then finally, and this one has particular importance as we think about going off to school, university. This professor of a popular university in the United States writes, they will see me, so my students, will see me as just another liberal professor trying to cajole them or talk them out of some of their convictions and they are dead right about that. That's what I am and that's exactly what I'm trying to do. So there's an active force moving against what we stand for as believers if we are believers. So what does doubt have to do with that? This is why it's important that we engage with it. Because hearing these sorts of things can give a person who's experiencing doubt reason to wonder if, in fact, what they believe is true. It can start to shake that foundation. So it's important for us as the church to engage with doubt, not to hide from it, to be able to talk to you about it. There's some, just uh, to talk about the pervasiveness of doubt and some of the reactions to it, there's a Barna poll done recently, and it's going to be helpful in painting a clearer picture of the issue for us. They write, questioning what you believe about religion or God is commonplace for most adults who self-identify as Christian. So, and they say about 65%, so two out of three people experience doubt in the, at some point in their faith journey. And the response, according to this poll, among those who either currently or previously experienced spiritual doubt, the most common response for about half of them, so 45%, was to leave their church or worship gatherings. Half. Three out of 10 adults, so 30% stopped reading their Bible, 30% stopped praying, while another quarter, so 25%, quit talking with family, friends about spirituality, God, or religion. And millennials, those in, in uh, my generation, uh, I'm at the early stage of them, uh, so 42 to 23, roughly, uh, were significantly more likely than other generations to stop doing all of the above, and at rates much higher than the general population. So it's serious, this idea of doubt. And if you're here today and you've never experienced it, I'm so, uh, I'm like, that, that's incredible. But there are many people that do. So instead of fearing doubt or needing to hide doubt or, or being afraid of people asking questions, we, we want to be a community that, that is willing to sit in it a while, to be able to wrestle with it. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about some of the things that drive it. And that's what we're planning on doing over the next number of weeks, because as much as we can focus on the negative aspects of doubt, here's some very, very good news. Many make it through stronger if they've actually taken the time to face their doubt, ask honest questions about it, 
And it's especially true when they've had a strong community of people around them to help them through it. It's especially true. So let's stick together. And most importantly, and if you hear nothing else, this is, this is uh, what I, I'm hoping you get today, is that we need to talk to God about it. If we're, especially if we're a believer, we need to come to God and we need to talk to God about it. We need to bring our troubles to him. I mean, hey, if, even if you're not a Christian, you don't consider yourself a Christian, I encourage you to talk to him too because this is what God wants. He wants us to talk to him about everything. Our passage today is in Psalm 13, and we're going to be looking at what it means to reach out to God. So if you have your Bibles here today, I encourage you to turn to them. Turn to Psalm, 23, Psalm 13. Feel free to go on your phones or whatever. It's going to be up on the screen as well, or I'll be reading. I'm using the NLT version today. And this is a psalm of lament. Psalm of lament. And, and lament, it, it goes beyond just a showing of emotion. Lament is about wrestling through things with God, particularly with God. As we talk about a lament psalm, there's about 50 of them in the the Psalter and the book of Psalms, so about a third of them. And this is an often misunderstood form of communication with God. And when we misunderstand or don't utilize this, we, we miss out because God wants us to be able to wrestle with him through these sorts of things. He doesn't want us to try to ignore them or try to walk through them without coming to him, without engaging with some of the things that happen in our lives that trouble us. He wants us to wrestle through these things. The loss of a loved one. What we consider as unanswered prayer. When we see some of the confusing things that happen in life, some of the evil and suffering, and we start to wonder why, God, would you allow these sorts of things? This is the domain of lament. This is where we can express anger and sadness before God even to God. He's got big shoulders. And he's asking us to lay things at his feet. So let's read David's words as he cries out, Psalm 13. O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. So you can see as we read through that, that progression that David goes through, starting off in such a, a dark, lonely place and moving all the way through. That is the journey of lament. And perhaps you notice it as we're reading it there, but I, if not, I hope you'll notice it or realize it by the time we're done here this morning. And this is the big idea that I want us to, to hang on to. And that's God is as far from us 
as we make him. God is as far from us as we make him. It means that no matter the circumstances, no matter how we feel about the situation, no matter if God is hiding from us for a season, he is never, ever far from us. So let's walk back through our passage and let's point out some of these things. So back in verse 1, David starts off addressing God, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? Are you going to forget me forever, God? How long are you going to look the other way from me? You can just hear that pain in his voice. How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? So here we have David, and it's, it's King David that's writing this, and he's feeling what? He's feeling abandoned. He's feeling ignored. He's feeling like God has turned his back on him, that he's all alone, that he's faced or has to face his enemy. His enemy remains, name, he doesn't name his enemy, but he has to face him all by himself. That doesn't, that doesn't seem to be the problem in, in David's writing, that is, it's his enemy. The problem is that God seems to be silent to his troubles. Have you ever been there? Feeling like maybe the world's out to get you, things are just piling up? Or maybe you, you have a loved one, a family member, where just things just keep getting worse, and you're wondering, God, Why? Make it stop. See, as many mistakes as David's made, and he, ma he made some good ones, uh, he was alive in a time, and he was king in a time where people were power-hungry, and often after his throne, so he often had people chasing him. He lived in, in, in that time. Oh, wait, that's kind of now too, isn't it? It's, <laughs> I think there's like a show about wanting to take over a throne but yeah, we, live in a, we still live in a time where people are, are hungry for power and, and wanting to seek it. And sometimes it's evil that's wanting to take over, wanting to displace somebody in authority. Sometimes it's the displacement of evil is the need to displace that authority. But we have proven ourselves time and time again, and by we I mean humanity throughout history, we've proven ourselves capable of, of doing pretty horrific things. A gentleman by the name of Viktor Frankl, he's a Jewish man, a Holocaust survivor. He writes, so let us be alert, and he's speaking to humankind at this point. Let us be alert, alert in a twofold sense. Since Auschwitz, and for those of you who don't know, Auschwitz was a death camp, a Nazi death camp where many thousands of people were exterminated. Since Auschwitz, we know what man is capable of. And since Hiroshima, and for those of you who don't know about Hiroshima, that was where one of the atomic bombs was dropped. Since Hiroshima, we know what is at stake. Since Auschwitz, we know what man is capable of. Since Hiroshima, we know what is at stake. This is World War II. See, David knows what it's like to be chased and to be threatened by evil. But his issue isn't that. His issue for him and his soul is that God isn't answering him. 
He doesn't believe that God, or he doesn't, he, he's not acting as though God is there at this point. Verse 3, he says, turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Turn and answer me. He's, he's crying to him, Lord, I, I know you're there. I need you to talk to me. And he's asking him to restore that sparkle in his eyes. Another translation writes, light up my eyes, Lord. And the idea here is the same as Paul's prayer to the Ephesian church in chapter 1, verse 18. Paul writes, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. His whole holy people who are rich and to a rich and glorious inheritance. So you see, David hasn't given up on God. He's calling to God to renew in his heart that confidence that he's there. He's saying, God, I'm depleted. I can't do this on my own. I need your help to just know that you're there and that you still love me. So he's, he's acting now like God is actually close, whereas he had behaved as though God was distant. Was God the one who changed? No. God was always there. It's David's perception. He moves on in verse 4. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, we've defeated him. God, don't let them rejoice at my downfall. Rescue me, he's crying. I need you, Lord. And you note the confidence in his capabilities in God's capabilities. He's not accusing God of not being there, not that he's incapable of doing what he asks. He's just asking God to do it. I played ball this spring with some good old Agassiz folks. Some, played a little two-pitch uh, this year, this spring, and it was awesome. My teammates, we had, we had such a fun team. We had a great team. They're always assuming that the next person up would get the hit or make the play in the field. There was no doubt as far as the effort went, unless the wind caught it and it went over my head because it's the wind's fault when I miss it. But otherwise, there was always optimism. We cheered one another on. We assumed the best in one another. See, David's optimism, it goes there, but it goes far further than that. We see David here pointing out that he is certain of God's goodness. He is, there is no speck of doubt that God can deliver him. David's issue still, though, is whether or not God will deliver him from his enemy. And that's an entirely different question. Because remember, just because God doesn't do something... It doesn't mean he can't do something. Just because he doesn't doesn't mean he can't. God can have sufficient reason because he's God. Because he knows all possible outcomes. And that underlies this next part of the psalm as David writes again, verse 5, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. It's quite a shift. 
This is why David, or sorry, why God calls David a man after his own heart. Because David doesn't always start in a place of faith. But he more often than not finishes in a place of faith. David, David was the king of finishing well. See, he doesn't need, it's not necessary for God to rescue him. So notice he's given that up. Doesn't need God to rescue him from the situation that he finds himself in with his enemy because God has already rescued him from something far worse. Himself. From, from his sinful self. From that rebellion against him and he's brought him into something far more beautiful. And that's relationship with him. And that's all that matters. Again, Viktor Frankl bore witness to such tragic events. He writes, forces beyond your control can take away everything you possess except for one thing, your freedom to choose how you will respond to that situation. You cannot control what happens to you in life, but you can always control what you will feel and do about what happens to you. David here has chosen to trust. He's chosen to trust God, but that's not all. I love this. Verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. I'll sing to the Lord because he's good to me. See, this is the journey, friends, of spiritual discipline. This is the journey of lament and wrestling through doubts. This is David wrestling with his doubts in and through this lament, and, and coming through the other side of it that much stronger. This is him making an, a decision, intentional decision to worship God, not just through song, but through obedience, to trust him. See, sometimes we need to, we need to push ourselves towards God, even when everything seems to be pulling us away from him. You may have heard of a gentleman by the name of Dan Anderson. He was in the Abbotsford News recently. At least I read it recently. And uh, this fella uh, was living on the street and had lost his desire to live. And so he walked into the Abbotsford Woods, one part of the Abbotsford Woods, into a pretty densely wooded area and threw away his belongings and then climbed up uh, partway up a tree, got about 50 feet, I think he said, and he jumped with the idea of ending his life. But it didn't work. He broke his back. He was paralyzed. He was, he was out for a, a quite a long time. And then he woke up. And he realized his predicament. And so he, st he started to get out of the woods. But he was about three-quarters of a mile away from the roadway. He had called initially for help. And someone thought they heard him, but didn't think so. And then so they just went about their business. And so over the next three days, without food or water, he took his paralyzed body and pulled himself through this densely wooded area with hills and roots, very harrowing, passing out intermittently, until finally he was able to, to call again. And, and that same person who thought they'd heard him in the first time heard him again and said, okay, I'm not crazy. I, I do hear that person. And they called the police, and the police came and searched for hours, almost didn't find him. They almost gave up. 
But then they did. They did find him, and they were able to pull him out. And that was a whole other story in and of itself. It was difficult for them, but they managed to get him out on a backboard. It was amazing. And strangely enough, this brush with death, though he was suicidal, actually gave him a new lease on life. Some of you have heard my testimony before and know that I, I experienced a similar situation, except for me it was, it was far less painful. But listen to this quote that he says. Life is a beautiful disaster, and you have to take the good with the bad. If you're in a bad moment, just know you're going to get through it. Crawl if you have to. Crawl if you have to. Friends, if you're experiencing doubt about who God is or whether he is good or not, or whether or not he's even there, I encourage you to keep crawling. If you feel far from God or that he is somehow far from you, I'm telling you, and David's telling you in this psalm of lament that God is not far from you. Keep crawling. Keep crawling to him. God is as far from us as we make him. I know sometimes when we, we say these sorts of things, it can be easier to, to say than do when we're caught in the thick of it. And, and if I could leave you with one piece of advice, it's, to, it's just to remember one thing, and that God is God. If God truly is who he s- claims to be, and if God is who God should be, he's good. And if he's good, he, and he's all-powerful, and he's all-knowing, God will have all of the information, not just some of the information. He will have every outcome of every choice that we can make, and he will always have sufficient reason, good reason, to allow the things that we don't understand, that we wrestle with, that we cry out about. He will always have good reason to allow that to happen. And we need to trust in that, trust in God being who he says he is. Because I think of myself sometimes when I want to shake my fist at the sky and I think, who am I to say to the, to the creator of the universe that I know better than you? This is why we need to have faith. We want to trust that God has that good reason because he's good. We want to trust that he has reason to answer our prayers with a yes or a no, or even with what we perceive as silence, because he is good. I just love this proverb. Solomon writes, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Just as Viktor Frankl said, we get to choose how we see our circumstances. And God may not pull us out of this bad situation, like he didn't pull David out of his bad situation, but if you've put your faith in him and Friends, if you haven't put your faith in him, I really encourage you to consider it. But if you have put your faith in him, he's already put you in the best situation possible, and that's in relationship with him. It it, it can't get better than that. So at the end of the day, and this is just as I close from the poll that I was mentioning earlier, coming back full circle, spiritual doubts can be a powerful and formative experience. You see that with David as he went through that? It seemed like he was formed through that lament. 
It can be a formative experience. It can actually strengthen and bolster faith. More than half of those who have wrestled with doubt really wrestled with it. 53%, the time spent asking honest questions about what they believe about religion or God, it made their faith stronger. Stronger. And I know for me and many others out there who have also walked through that path, and, and perhaps it's many of you as well, having our questions answered helped us come to church and to grow a strong faith because we discovered that God wasn't actually that far from us after all. So the challenge is, for us to continue to try to be a community that seeks out to be a place where people can openly doubt, can raise questions, and find answers. If and when we doubt or find ourselves angry with God, we need a little help from our friends, so to speak. So let's be ready. As we explore these topics over the next couple of weeks, let's get ready to dig in, to learn both for our own spiritual uh, nourishment, but also to help those people around us and to help other people, like those people who have made those comments that I read, those quotes at the beginning, who really could use the love of God in their life. Let's learn about these things so we can help them out when doubt strikes. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time that we can spend together and get serious about faith and about doubt, about our relationship with you, about how each and every day, Lord, there are things that pull at us from the external and the internal that want to pull us away from you. And so, Father, we pray that as we start this series, you will use it to do amazing things in our lives, strengthen our faith through this journey as we wrestle with some of the questions, some of these deep questions that are causing people to think that you're not there or that you're not good. Help us to be able to, to, to take these things, quicken them to our hearts, grow stronger in the process, and then be able to use this information to glorify you. Help us to be able to love people better because of this series. Help us to be able to worship you better because of this. Father, we're just so grateful for you, that you are a God who hears us and is not far from us. You are imminent. You are right here with us, and we bless you for that. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.